Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah. The charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh-oh. Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Hello. You are listening to The Three Questions with Andy Richter. And I am delighted to have... It's almost ridiculous how nice this person is. It's almost like he's one of the nicest people in show business to the point where I think there's got to be bodies buried somewhere because he's just too nice. I'm talking about uh, Josh Gondelman, the hilarious stand-up writer, now running a show, got a book coming out. Wow, you're everywhere. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for calling me uh, both nice and in show business. <laughs> <laughs> well, what else are you? I guess I am. You it's, have to admit it. I still, yeah. Does, it, still, feel, does it make you feel uncomfortable? Like, does it make you feel like Well, I feel boastful? like it, I did comedy for so long. And I, I wonder if you feel this way, but I was in comedy for so long, right? As a standup without feeling remotely in show business. Yes. And now I have to be like, oh, I do both of those things. Yes. Yes. Like, no, I mean, for me, it's been long enough. I mean, I, 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 I have the embarrassment of riches of having had a television job very early in my life. I think I was I was 27. Oh, wow. When when the Conan show started. And I had, and before that I had even, you know, I'd had a, I had been in the movie Cabin Boy and I'd been in another movie. Um, so, yeah, no, I, now being in show business to me is, it, it's what I do. Yes. It's my, it's my profession. It's my craft. It's my industry. But I do not have, I do not, I, like, I still am like. I'm always still a little bit taken aback when somebody, and this is a beautiful thing about my job, is that I was I was on a show that was as meaningful to young comedy people as the shows that were meaningful to me when I was a young comedy person. I'm thrilled that I'm on a formative show for, for a new generation Absolutely. of comedians. But it's weird when I meet them and they and they treat me like some sort of grand dame. Sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure. I just sure. am like, no, listen, I'm just you plus time. I'm just old, <laughs> but I'm you. I'm exactly you. Comedy so. equals tragedy plus time. Yes, and yes. Show business equals comedy. Yes, plus time. is yeah. Just being on stage and and slinging hash, slinging comedy hash. <laughs> well, Josh, uh, you know the deal here. There are three questions. I do. Where do you come from? Where are you going? What have you learned? Are you prepared? I am. To spill your guts? I've thought about it. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. You don't need to, but I'm glad you did. No. I, yeah. They're also, imagine if I didn't have the answers to at least two of those three right, questions. Right, right, right. Just like, where do you come from? Just like, 
oh shit, shit. Uh, <laughs> I was not ready I for don't know this I had a I had a head injury uh, I don't remember <laughs> I woke up in this studio yeah, yeah I think I think maybe I'm like one of those guys that's going to be activated as a super spy that's right. where I think I come from <laughs> I think I'm kind of a Jason Bourne yeah yeah <laughs> imagine if Jason Bourne maybe this is the plot of one of them I haven't seen them all just kind of like let himself go and then when he activated he just like pulled a hamstring <laughs> immediately <laughs> yeah exactly or if like when he was unactivated like he became a stand up yeah yeah holy yeah, yeah. shit we just wrote a blockbuster yeah this is so good holy fuck that is a block and then, right, he's on stage. Stand-up comedian becomes activated from his previous life as a. Uh, and then I, now there's like a famous. Can we record person. another day because I need to write this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I gotta go. <laughs> they um, <laughs> right. He hears like a snap of his fingers while he's on stage, and all of a sudden it's famous comedian murders eleven audience <laughs> yeah, members. Yeah, yeah, or it's they're just like yeah, or like he sees someone in the audience that like holy shit, it's you know, yeah, it's Drago Corinthian, yep, yep. and I have to go kill him, you know. <laughs> Um, you are from Massachusetts. I am from Massachusetts. You're one of those people. I'm one of, one those. of those New Englanders. Yeah, one of those those uh, those salty towny types from uh, from Stoneham, years and years and years from Sto- yeah. Stoneham. Yeah, Stoneham, yeah. Massachusetts. And your family's been there for my, forever. Yep. Yeah, I, my parents still live in the house that I grew up in. Yeah, and they were from not neighboring towns, but nearby towns. They grew up um, separately in uh, nearby towns. So like very Massachusetts. My my grandparents lived there. And their parents, I believe, some of them had come from other places. Yeah, 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 yeah. And where are the other places? The like Russia, Poland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're Jewish, I Jewish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And what what is the family business? What are you What are you all in up there? So I was in my mom's family business for a long time uh, before and during the beginning of comedy. My mom was in, an educator. Oh wow, for years. Yeah, and she uh, was the director of a small private school mm-hmm. uh, for that was like toddler through eighth grade, I think, kind of at its at its most expansive. Yeah. And I was an assistant there in the summers and I taught Spanish there for two my last two years of college. Um, as I was still learning enough Spanish to like relay it to five year olds, right? To like, be old, just a little knows? bit ahead, yeah, 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 just with a Boston accent. <laughs> Quatra. <laughs> That's not how it sounds. Yeah, yeah. The Ace. <laughs> That's actually more Chicago. But. Still good. Yeah. Um, so that's so I worked for in education for years. That was like basically my entire non-comedy work experience. Until was, what age? Until so I worked for my mom until I graduated college, basically. And then I taught preschool for another four years in the Boston suburbs in Arlington. And that mm-hmm. was wonderful. And I was tutoring. And then I moved to New York and tutored for another three years until I was like full-time comedy TV stuff. Mm-hmm. So I so I was 29. So I've been doing Comedy full time since I was twenty nine. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, I mean, that's a in our gendered world. That's a pretty. That's a pretty nurturing man. Yeah. You know? I think. I think I'm very maternal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in a lot I, of ways. I also am. I've said often because I didn't really have a. I didn't really have a constant present father role model. Mm-hmm. So when I started, when I became a father, I think I just mothered. I just oh. did a I just did a cis straight male version of mothering, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, honestly, yeah, no, I have no I have no qualms with it. I mean, I don't have I've never had, you know, like afraid to discuss emotions sure. or or like I want you I you know, I insist that you model your life after mine. Right. You know, like I'm making a little a little me. Like I never really I never really had that, which I think is probably a more, 
a more fatherly way to do things. Yeah. You know? Generally and, speaking, it's not a healthy fatherly way. No, you know? right. But it's that kind of like traditional masculinity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, it is. It felt very, it, it also was very professionally advantageous to be a man in that field. I bet. Because you just like, when you go to interview, it's like the exact opposite of when a woman interviews in a male-dominated field yes. where they're, like, skeptical and, like, are you sure you know how to use the computer? And, like, when I showed up for preschool interviews, it was always just, like, oh, thank goodness one of you is here. Right, right. So it's just, like, even in this female-dominated space, I was benefiting explicitly from sexism daily. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, no, I mean, it's sort of uh – and I mean, and this is in, meant in no way to diminish women in comedy, but women in comedy because of not so much now, but certainly when I started because of their scarcity, they there was a higher value on them mm -hmm. because, you know, and, and there was frequently tokenism, of course, but definitely it's it's a similar it's the mirror image of that, yeah. you know. And with women in comedy, I think it also and not, you know, two guys, we'll chop it up about women in comedy for yeah. a while. But the you get the like, well, we have the one. Yes. Which is like oh. I think the pernicious way in that works. Precisely. Like, the first in in some places it would be like the first woman, like, oh, thank goodness you're here because now you cover our ass for not having women. Absolutely. And then the second woman is like, Well, you need not apply. Absolutely. I mean, I work on a show and now we have women writers, but uh, I will say we don't have enough women mm -hmm. writers. And for years we didn't have any women writers mm -hmm. and that was not good and we didn't have any writers of color and that was not good and I think especially uh someone of my age who doesn't kind of get out into the world enough and there I believe me there's a lot of men my age who don't who don't interface as much as say like I do like I'm on Twitter one of the reasons I'm on Twitter is to know what the zeitgeist is. Yeah. Basically, and I don't mean that in like a calculated way. I mean it in like a polite way. Yes, like, like I'd like to be in step with the world. Precisely. I want to know that like, I want to know that 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 attitude that I hold is now widely panned and that I should re-examine it. For sure. Yeah. I think it's so helpful. And I like, I, I get on my high horse about this all the time, but like when New York Times columnists or whoever get the thing about like, people are saying that I'm stupid on Twitter and that just makes me more sure that I'm smart. Yeah. It's like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Precisely. It's yeah. like, maybe everyone's yelling at you because you're wrong. Yeah. Is that something you'd entertained for one moment? Everybody likes democracy except for when it comes to their own opinions. Yeah, for sure. Know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, in comedy, I just think that we there we felt, and I say we ge as a general thing, you know, when people started to really talk about representation in a serious way, there's a sense of a white male, like, like I've made jokes about, like, when you tell a white male that he's wrong about something, it's like murdering him. <laughs> um, and 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 in those days, when you get when you get notes about representation yeah. you say well who wants tokenism right and it's like yeah that's true but also how else is anything going to change you have to start unless you take a take a flyer you take a leap of faith mm -hmm. on somebody that doesn't look like you yeah you know? it's so i think it's so important yeah yeah to have different perspectives represented right and like for even for the sake of that. Sure, sure. I, I think it's really wonderful. And this is something we should save till later to talk about your current job. Sure. Because you certainly, you know, you're a white man running a black show. I'm so... Fortunately, there's people above me. I'm supervising producer, which yeah, is very yeah. exciting. And it's like more um, influence than I've ever had right, in a right. show. And, and it's... Um, but it is like... It is a space where I am very mindful of being 
deferential and open to opinions that are not and perspectives that are not mine. Absolutely. More than more than anywhere I've ever worked because I I don't want to be pushing things that are either false or like distasteful certainly or out of step with the people that I work with and the people that I work for. And as understanding as you can be and I and I I say you I mean as understanding as one in your position can be. Yeah. You will never understand of course. what it's like to be black. And there's there are there are points at which with things I I'm like, "Oh, I think of things this way, but I trust the the expertise and the experience of the people around me. And I defer to your judgment and, and perspective. Sure. And, and it's not right or wrong. It's just like what we want to say. Yeah. The, per, the perspective we want to present. For sure. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I think like there's so, I was talking with somebody recently about like apologize. Cause you said like when a, when a white man's opinion is questioned, it, it's like murder again, which yeah, yeah. is like th- that. And people act like that. Right. Like it, it, it celebrities sometimes or even non-celebrities who people are criticizing publicly and there's such a a tendency to dig in and be defensive which I understand yes but once you get to the point of like okay I I understand that I have to deliver an apology of some sort yeah and ideally like change my behavior like why not just give the best apology. Why like continue to be defensive? Like yeah. when, why give the like, well, I'm sorry you felt that way. But, because like once you're at that point, it doesn't hurt more to be like, you know what? I messed up and mm-hmm. I'm really sorry. And what I understand that what I did was hurtful and I, sh- I, I will do, I'm going to try to do better. Yeah. Like it doesn't, you lose nothing by doing that and you gain so much by like exhibiting like a little more contrition. Right. It's it's situational because there are times when I think people, I mean, not necessarily in sort of political correctness, but like there have been times within just within our show where uh, because one of my jobs is to give notes, mm-hmm. basically, uh, and, and is to sort of Conan and I are the end, the end of the quality control, like everything that goes out the door, the last place it passes is me and him. So and there are times and I and I have a tendency sometimes to be. One could say brusque. Sure. Uh, I would think of it as just efficient. And like, I don't, I don't need a lot of, if I have an idea that people go like, nah, that's not good. I, I don't, I'm like, okay, I'll make more. Um, But there are other people that aren't built like me. Sure. And that need a little bit more sort of gentleness when you reject their ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there have been times when people have had issue with that. And I... I definitely want to show contrition, but I also want to let them know, you know, this is, this is a workplace. Yes. We're all, we're all making donuts here. Yes. And the the point is the donuts. And I, and I certainly, I'm sorry if I was neglectful of your feelings, but I will continue to put the quality of the product totally a, li- a little bit ahead of uh, not of not of like real feelings but of just like come on you got to get a little thicker skin for know? sure yeah, yeah. yeah i think but there again that's a work thing yes you know? and that's and that's like a work style issue yeah, and yeah. it's not you know you're not going like you fucking imbecile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of my sight yeah, with yeah. that garbage. Typical broad. <laughs> <laughs> right. And in that case, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, boy. Yeah, right, right. Wow. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's get back to, to the young Josh. Sure. Um, what kind of kid were you? I was, I think, like a sweet little dweeb. Yeah. And 
I was, I read a lot and I, pl- I played sports for like, uh, an unexpectedly long time. I, why do you say unexpectedly? Because I wasn't good at them then. Yeah. And to see me now, you would be like, you weren't good at them then. Uh, but I played the last kind of like organized sport I stopped playing was I played basketball on the JV team sophomore year in high school. Yeah. And then I just kind of, I saw that I'd reached the end of the line and there was also, I'd started getting really into theater at, at school. And mm-hmm. so by the time the next basketball season rolled around, it was like I could either participate in the um, the, the competitive play. drama festival. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Or I could could try out for the basketball team, probably not make it, maybe kind of make it as like, well, he hustles, but like even then he's not that fast. Right, <laughs> like, right, right. So I – I gave up with organized sports like junior in high school and then was like all kind of academics, arts, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have siblings? I do. I have one sister. Uh-huh. She, Older, younger? Younger. She's uh-huh. three years younger, but we were two grades apart because she was kind of like a smart, pushy toddler. Yeah, and yeah. And so when she was in preschool, she would be like, no, I want to be in that class. And yeah, like, yeah. Well, you know, she knows the letters, so what's the harm? <laughs> and so she just – so we progressed in school two years apart, so we – uh, went to we were in college together for two years as oh, well. Wow. Yeah, which was cool. We both went to Brandeis. Do you think that having that being a big brother was somewhat informed the the sort of nurturing nature of yourself? I think so. Yeah. I think it like fed both ways. Like I think because I'm kind of a nurturing person, I was a better brother, especially as I got older. Yeah, and because of doing that, I think it I was a little more nurturing. But like, I don't think I I think I got more big brothery like and it's such a I think a standard thing that happens to people sometimes but when we were both in high school together because I would drive her places yeah we you know it, my parents kind of there were times where they would go they would defer to me of like is this party okay for her to go to like is this going to be a bad scene yeah that's like, yeah, fine and so I felt like I was a little more um supervisory of my sister. Yeah. 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 And does she would, I mean, did she have good judgment anyway? Yeah. She's she's like a super good kid. She was a super good kid. She's like a very, I mean, she's a pediatric physical therapist. She's like a very sweet, wonderful adult person. Yeah. yeah. There my, I have an 18 year old son and when he, what people don't realize and your parents knew it about you is that the first kid is the first time you've done everything. The first, and so like when he started to get to be the age where he was going to be going to parties, I mean, A, I, we're not really restrictive. And I was raised, I mean, our house was the house that when I was a kid that everybody drank at. Sure. You know, and my parents had, were kind of like, give me your car keys or don't, right. you know, that kind of thing. And and so because they were just realistic and, you know, like, and my mother, when she was young, she said they didn't, it wasn't beer. It was like cocktails. They'd come home from high school and have like Manhattans. That is a sophisticated was, underage drinking situation. I, well, I also just think that that was the time. It was, you know, the 50s. Yeah. And I think people just drank cocktails. Tales, and uh, and she she, she remember there was one time where her mother came home, and you know these are kids sitting around drinking Manhattans and Rob Roy's at so funny. at four thirty, and her mom came home, and they all dumped their drinks in the fish tank and <laughs> murdered all the fish, um, and uh, like her mom was like, "Why are all the fish dead?" It's like, uh, you know? I guess we should have yeah, just yeah. told you we were drinking <laughs> death by old fashioned. Uh, so, but. Um, when my son started to to go to parties and we we're like, we had no idea, like, what are, how, are we, like, are, are we going to have him in rehab in yeah. six months? 
And one of the first parties that he went to that was a friend of his, his friend, and like a big house party that was crazy and overrun, but the parents were there. Some kid in the backyard brought a taser to tase girls. Oh, my God. Yeah. And and when that happened, my son was on the front porch, and it was it was north of Ventura Boulevard. Yeah. And I just got this call from him on a pay phone, because he didn't have his cell phone yet, on a pay phone going, someone at the party, I think they pulled a knife, everyone ran, and I just ran down the hill to oh. Ventura. And his fr- he, he, like, took off, left his yeah. friends, left his friends. And from that point on, I was like, I think it's going to be fine. He's yeah. <laughs> at the first sign of trouble. He bolted yeah. as fast as he could. That's so. a good impulse. Yeah, yeah. At that age, he's always been very cautious. His friends, his friends call him dad to tase girls. Oh, I what? Just, a, that's like so fucked up. It's yeah, like because that's that's what girls want. Yeah, they to get tased. Uh, but anyway, I think I think actually the parents got like in legal trouble for that. That seems. Not reasonable. wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. I, I can't. I can't go too hard right. against that. Was uh, your Was your dad the nurturing type? Both Both of my parents yeah. are. They're what both, does your dad do? My dad uh, was a. Gla- he's retired now. He was a glazer. So oh, he yeah. installed glass and aluminum, mostly mm-hmm. storefronts. Yeah. And so even to to this day, if we're driving through Boston, he'll he'll go. Oh yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, hotel yeah. I did is still yep. still the same. Yeah. Which is really cool. It like really, I have so much admiration for like the physical imprint he has yes. on like the city and the Absolutely. environment. It's so cool. Yeah. I, there, there, I, there's tradesmen in my family too. And it's the same sort of thing. Like my mom is in the kitchen business and she'll be like, I, I did all the cabinets yeah, in that's that house so cool. 25 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And like for that stuff to stand up, I mean, you know, everything gets replaced eventually, but like to, to go, Oh, that 25 years ago I have this connection with this space even if the the cabinets or whatever are different or the cabinets are still here like what a legacy to yeah, have even if yeah, only yeah. you think about it it's a it's a useful contribution to society and to a family yeah you know? um so when you started when you transitioned into being artsy mm-hmm. you know um what what was your what was your goal then what did you think you were going to end up doing at that point or did you just were you still saying like I'm going to be a teacher I think so I I think there were the goal was some kind of writing. Yeah. Um my my grandmother used to say when she would see me in when she would see me in plays, she would say, "You know, you're a really good writer." <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, grandma. Which is I always I said for years when people would people read things that I write, you know, yeah. if I wrote a, a freelance piece, they would go, "Hey, that's that was pretty good. You, I I would like for you to write for us." And when people see me do stand up, they go, that's pretty good. You should write for us. <laughs> so it's like, I, it was always kind of what I, I gravitate towards. I always liked doing it. I like, I always liked writing. And so I started performing and that was fun too. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, I don't think I ever was like, oh, I'm going to be a, a stage actor. Right. Uh, as like a, as a job. Yeah. And I went, when I applied to colleges, I had kind of the, unexpected foresight, I guess, to look at schools, to only apply to schools where I could do a creative writing thesis of some kind. Mm -hmm. And I thought going in, it was going to be playwriting. That's because I'd written a play when I was like 17 that had in the like Massachusetts competitive drama festival gotten some recognition. And I was like, oh, maybe this is a kind of writing I could do as a job. Uh, And, and not realizing, I mean, like, you know, I was, I started doing stand up a couple years later when I, when I was still in college 
and numerically there are just so many more comedians than playwrights sure. and I had no perspective of that then, yeah, yeah. where like it, you don't know anything no, before you go in you for know. sure and I it think, all seems like magic you yeah know? you just like go in and then you come out a, an adult yeah and my, my sister had even more foresight because when she was finishing high school she and she was always like a good student who I think visibly would like care more about some subjects than others. Yeah, and my parents yeah, were yeah. always a little bit like, well, you got to try at all of them. And she was like, do I? <laughs> and uh, that's, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. Math. Why do I need fucking math? Yeah. It's like, we have the, the calculators right there. Yes, I can yes. see it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if it's not there, I'll find one. Right. I'll hire someone to do the math. And so she, when she, they, my parents kind of, they, they said, what do you, what are you interested in? What field of discipline? And my sister just like very, immediately very surprisingly to them was like oh, i'm gonna be a physical therapist and they were like you've never mentioned that before and she's like yeah but that's what i'm gonna how do. old was she she must have been like 16 oh wow yeah and then she just did it and so she we both went to brandeis but they don't have a real they kind of pride themselves on not being a pre-professional school yeah. which just means like if you want to have a career in something that that takes more schooling you have to like take classes outside yeah. too yeah so we're she, gonna teach you to be unemployable yeah exactly yeah. like yeah we'll, we'll teach you everything you need to know about literature yeah uh, we're not into practical schools. yeah but if you want to study the law you can do that on your own time yeah yeah degenerate so she had to take like summer she like planned it out from a very young age like i guess i'll have to take these anatomy courses over the summers and she just like plotted a course so I went into college. That's it's incredible. Oh, and that's what. And she just like called her shot as a mid teenager. I just it's un. I just wish. I still am not quite sure what the hell I'm supposed to do <laughs> on this planet. You know, I, it's just amazing when people know that. Yeah, stuff, you know, I'm so. It's so impressive. So I came in thinking I was, came into college thinking I was going to write plays, and then I just didn't have the like desire to do the kind of backstage practicum stuff like the, well, you wear all black and then you move this to here and then you move that to there. And it's every night for this whole semester. And I was like, I don't think so. Yeah. So I transitioned into, um, fiction writing. So I wrote yeah. a short fiction thesis. So that's, yeah. what, that's like what I built towards in college, but really like I was doing improv from freshman year on after freshman year, I started stand up like in the city of Boston. And then I was doing sketch, like a bunch of friends and I had like a weekly late night sketch show that we just decided we would do. And no one told us to stop. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was doing a lot of comedy stuff in school. That's I, I've talked on this show frequently about finding your tribe. And mm -hmm. that sounds like, yeah, like it was great. Yeah. We had these roommates, like it was almost all guys that were just plunked into the same freshman dorm and then kept living together for the, the ensuing years. And so we had this off-campus house and we would do comedy stuff together. And then my friend uh, Ethan would, once or twice a semester, we would throw a big party and charge at the door and then donate all the money to a charity that he kind of spearheaded looking for that. Like, I, this is like a very specific, but we did like Hurricane Katrina relief one uh -huh. time. And so it was like kind of, it wasn't a big party school so and people would come and it was generally not like that wild yeah um, yeah because it was just a bunch of uh you know it was just kind of a bunch of jews that were like well, we have to study tomorrow morning yeah <laughs> so, yeah yeah uh it never got too too out of hand and and that was just kind of like what we did it was like and it was the same guys we would rehearse for sketch and then ethan would go we're having a party next weekend and we go okay so we do that too yeah yeah it was really it was very lovely and no that uh, that's you know when i started doing improv in chicago it wasn't even so much I, I and i still to this day 
I'm I am fine with an, an audience, but they're not who I'm there for. Yeah. You know, I'm there for, I've said it before too. Like I want to make the cameramen laugh. Absolutely. And, and when our band, when we used to have a band on the show, like if I made the band laugh, I'd be like, all right, I earned my check today. Oh yeah. Cause that's the audience, so fun. they're strangers. Yes. I don't, I want to make my family laugh right. because I know that they're used to my bullshit. Yes. They know like my standard issue stuff. So if I can, surprise them I feel like I'm surprising me and I'm always I'm always trying to make me happy like that's my showbiz ethos is like I'm I'm here being me and enjoying myself and that's especially you know that doesn't work when you're making a movie no it does still kind of you know because I've worked on fun sets and I've worked on not fun sets and the, you increase your odds of, do, of making a good movie if the set is fun. Just and I don't care what kind of movie you're making. That's so intuitive. If pe- yeah, but but it, you would think. But there's a lot of people yeah. that seem very heavily invested in not having fun. Sure. Uh, so I, you know. But that's like such a, f- a fun and thoughtful way to do it, right? Like the job is to make the audience laugh. Yeah. But like the the reason that you get into that job is to make your friends laugh and the people that you respect and enjoy laugh. Yeah. Well, and also too, because it will come. Yes. You have to have faith that this is, if this is your focus it, in sort of like, it's, it's, it's just such a simple thing of if you make yourself happy in a way that is in good faith mm-hmm. and in a way that is loving and caring and not, intrusive on other people's happiness not at the expense of the audience precisely and but i also mean i mean in like your life oh, sure. and in your yeah. family if you make yourself happy you are going to be a lot more successful at making the people around you happy yeah because happiness is a is a it's a gas that everyone breathes yes. in when it starts to really flow you totally know? start clean with clorox because clorox delivers a powerful clean Every time. Because messes happen. Because. Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. 
Can't you tell my love's a growing? So what happens? How do you become? Do, when you started teaching, is that just a day job then? And it, you're still kind of like really in your head or you're like, I'm going to make this work, this writing and comedy. That is kind of what I thought. I thought yeah. I was going to be like a writer of funny books. That's like, you know, kind of like like a George Saunders was is like the apex yes. of what I was right, shooting right. for at that time. And so I was doing stand up already and neglecting other writing at the expense of that or at the uh, for the benefit of my stand up. So yeah. that was like this period where I kind of had this impression of myself as like a writer that hadn't published yet. But really what I was was like a comedic performer and writer who was like laying that kind of groundwork. Yeah. Like I did, I just didn't have the patience for like submitting to literary magazines. And my, my parents who are so supportive would always say, or my dad took me aside one day and was like, Hey, you talk a lot about writing. You know, we, is that's still something you're interested in. Right. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, here, give me 40 bucks. And was like, you always talk about needing to find like the places to submit writing that that fit your style. So like, take 40 bucks, go buy a bunch of literary magazines and like see where you want to submit, which was so generous and specific. Yeah. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to pay your rent for six months so you can be an artist. But it was like, look, you keep talking about this thing, like put it into action. And, and it like, I think doing that, I, I did some submitting, but I just liked getting on stage. I liked writing f short, funny things. And it just, I didn't have like, uh, a lot of, a lot to say in a literary voice. So I was teaching and I got my teaching job right after I graduated college and I stayed at the same place for about four years, which was, it was really great. I had an awesome experience. And I had, before I got this teaching job, I was on the phone with my mom and I had just been looking for like jobs. Like I truly like if you stock image search, like guy at job, that's like what I pictured myself doing while I was working on this creative stuff on the side. And so I was like looking at banks and like insurance companies. And I was on the phone with my mom being like, yeah, I'm just looking at like jobs. And she's like, well, why don't you get a teaching job? You like that and you're good at it. And you will never have to work nights if you're teaching preschool. Right. And I was like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because also, it's performing. Yes, for sure. It's performing. It is a lot of performing, yeah. especially with kids that age, because so much of it is like holding their attention, communicating things in a way that grabs the the imagination of people yeah. who are like so easily distractible. There are teachers in my family, and I've always and, – and, and it's – my brother's a my brother's a high school teacher, and he actually ran for Congress uh, in Illinois. And it was it was you know I when he said I'm going to run for Congress, I was thrilled and excited, but also kind of surprised. But then I, oh no, he talks every day. Yeah, he stand, and, but he's talking to fucking high school kids. Yeah, that's so a he's tough got a crowd. Very hostile audience. That's a really tough yeah. crowd. And I've always thought. There's there's showbiz around you that you don't notice, and that's teachers and ministers. Mm -hmm. They they are performing you, every day. Or, you, know you know who else gives underratedly excellent performances are like baristas and restaurant servers. Uh -huh. Like it is so. I was I bartenders bartenders yeah. for yeah. sure. I was at a, a restaurant and the service was so warm and friendly that I was like. I was like, this is such a pleasure and it must take so much for the, like, this is their job that yeah. they're, that's part of the job. They're yeah. not just like exceptionally nice people. Putting I mean, they probably are. They're yes. putting on a show. Yeah. And it's like, that is 
that should not go unnoticed and unappreciated. Yeah. Like, and so I had so much like gratitude for that part of the experience. Yeah. Um, so I was teaching, I taught for four years and it was like, and I tutored all that time as well. And it was like a day job, but it was a day job that I liked. And I brought, at first I kind of felt like I was, um, fiddling with the margins of the job. Cause there was stuff I would do where like we had four year olds and we would do like little Spanish lessons and we would, uh, do like improv games like that you could kind of scale down for four-year-olds. Yeah. And I would write like, I was like, Oh, do you guys do like a, is there a performance at the big holiday party? And they were like, well, kind of, but not really. And so I like wrote them a little play. And I, at first it felt like, Oh, this is, uh, I'm like skating by. And then I was like, no, this is what I bring to the table. Yeah. I'm not like the arts and crafts person, but I can, uh, I can have these kind of, dramatic and performative things and, and the little Spanish stuff around the sides. And, and the other thing I brought to the table was I worked with almost exclusively women and I had for whatever reason, more patience than they did for when little girls would just throw a horrific tantrums. I have from being a parent, I have, uh, there is an, intragender intolerance. Mm -hmm. Like there was shit that my son would do when he was, yeah. it's usually in the 13, 14 year old range where I was like, yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah. That's, you know, like, come on, snap out of it. And my wife would be a lot more tolerant of it. I have a 13 year old daughter. It's the same thing where there's stuff that my wife is like, I know exactly what she's doing. It's calculate. And, and I'm like, oh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't hit my buttons. Yeah, yeah that's exactly yeah. what it was. Because yeah. when there would be a little boy who would pick up a block, look at another kid four feet away, take a running start and just mush him in the face. Yeah. I would be like, you little prick. Yeah. I saw that in your eyes yeah. and I couldn't get there in time. And they would be like, look, let's let's take it down. Like, let's make sure he's OK. And I'd be like, oh, this kid, right. he's going to grow up to boil a cat. Like, I'd be <laughs> so. And, and then when it was just a little girl who, for whatever reason, had, a, you know, a different kind of emotional uh, outpouring. Yeah. I was the one that would, you know, sit on the floor with them for like 20 minutes and go, hey, I know it's it's a really hard time. Like you want this green crayon, but you had to have that green crayon. Yeah. And like we don't always get what we want in life. And that's really it's so frustrating. And and they would be like, How do you do that? And yeah. my, the only answer I could muster was like, when you are a straight male in your twenties, people female people, women and then in this case, girls, but women are just going to cry because you're not good enough at not making people cry yet. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I was just like enough, even though I tried, I was just like enough of a, like a shithead that like women would cry at me and I, or to me and I would go, yeah, I deserve this. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I, yeah. And you learn to be patient and not just be like, knock it off. Well, I also think it's a very garden variety neurosis that the things that you do that are mm, sort of gendered, you know, like behaviors that are sort of gendered, mm -hmm. that you you work to not do them in a way that is intolerant of your own, like, sort of primal, ugly urges. So when you see it mirrored in someone else. Oh, yeah, totally. It's like you, you are yelling at yourself. Yes. You're and like, it's stop doing that and it's the way you're socialized too, yes. right like like man to boy right of like um and it's also with stuff like that it's like oh i wish 
that these boys weren't this way. Cause yeah. I, right. Cause I see this like the way that, that we were socialized to play when, yeah. when I was a kid of just like smashing each other up. And it's like, it doesn't have to be like that. Yes. But I know, I also too, I'm not entirely sure if a kid smashing a, blo- a boy, smashing a block into another boy's face, mm-hmm. which is a better way to deal with that calm or a short, sharp shock. I mean, yeah. I don't mean hitting them, but no. saying like, Hey, no. Yeah. You know, because certainly in parenting, you learn there are times to explain and there are times to, like I said, the only kind of real corporal punishment my children got was on their eardrums uh, because, and you, and as a dad, you learn like that's, that's in your arsenal, in your, in your toolbox, you save that one because you got to learn, you know, like your kids know, like, oh shit, dad's yeah. mad. You were and, in, this was dangerous. Yes. This is, yes. This, someone was at risk here and this cannot happen. Yes. And it's not like there's a threat of violence, but there certainly is just a sort of like, like I'm serious. Listen to me now Mm -hmm. because part of being a parent too is getting used to not being listened to at all most of the time. So Um, when did you go to New York? I mean, that was probably, I imagine certainly a step forward in your professional life. So I moved to New York in 2011 in the Uh summer and I had had some like a little, a little more success with standup at doing festivals outside of Boston. Mm -hmm. And I, I had seen from the outside looking back in like, Oh, and and from the inside looking out, like if I want to keep progressing in comedy and writing, I should go where there are more opportunities. Yeah, yeah. And, that and, just I mean, coming from Chicago, it's the same thing. You got to go if you're a coal miner. You got to go where the coal. Where is. the coal is for yeah, sure. Yeah. And like, there's also in I think Chicago and Boston are similar. Very in similar. That, in that you can you can go. I'm gonna stay and work this local circuit at at, at the highest level, or like aspire to the highest level of this local show business and entertainment, or I could try for a different thing that maybe has like a larger scope. Right. And I think I was ready at that time. I'd, I'd had a little enough success to encourage me that like, Oh, maybe this will, this could work out. And I was dating someone who lived in New York and just everything kind of lined up of like, Oh, this is a good move for my life and my career. So I moved in 2011 and I, my tutoring office transferred me and I stopped teaching full time. So I was tutoring several hours a week. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It was really nice. It was so fortunate. And, and they, I got called in it like maybe eight months into being in New York, maybe a year. They called me into the office and I was like, oh, I am, I'm in trouble. They like never want, they, cause you would, it was mostly in home visits. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, why would they talk, call me in the office? And they were like, we really like the way you communicate to like the younger kids on the spectrum, like the 12 and 13, 11, 12, 13 year olds, as opposed to the 15, 16, 17 year olds preparing for college. Yeah. And they were like, do you have any like tips on this? We want to like move you to like a senior level tutoring position. Oh wow! And I was like, oh, that's, this is awesome. And so the, the hourly rate was good enough tutoring. And I was on the road a little bit doing stand up, and I would like Skype session with some of my kids, which was like very fortunate that that technology existed by yeah, then. Yeah. And was doing a little freelance writing for like, mostly women's magazines and other magazines as well, but like internet stuff, you know, a couple hundred bucks here, a couple hundred bucks there and was kind of piecing together a living where the tutoring made sure my rent was paid and my bills were paid. And then the other stuff was like, was like growing enough that it felt like several side jobs as opposed to like, Oh, these are my fun, creative hobbies. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was, um, kind of 20, 
2011, the last half of 2011, 2012, 2013 was a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and it was great. And, and so the thing that kind of pivoted into like from side job to career was in late 2012, my friend Jack Moore and I co-created this very popular viral Twitter account. Yeah. The modern Seinfeld Twitter account. Yes. Which was just the premises like, what if Seinfeld, but it now. continued, yeah. And it was, you know, it was just like a fun hobby-ish thing that we were doing. Yeah. And people, it seemed to click with a lot of people. Yeah. And that kind of gave me, enough, I, it was the first time I was ever like, oh, you're that guy. You're that guy who did this thing that I liked. Instead of like, oh, your stand-up was funny. Like, good to meet you. See you around. Yeah, yeah. And so it gave me all these opportunities and I'd started applying for jobs, mostly in late night. Um, and I did that for like a year. 2013 was just like packet after packet, submission materials for different late night shows. Got hired or did a little tiny bit of work for Billy on the Street, which was like very encouraging and fun. Yeah. And well, boy, he's a, so funny. Oh, just the best. He had like his fastball is faster than just about anybody. Absolutely. You know, he's just like, yeah. he, he has a gear that people don't have. Yeah. And he's just delightful. Wonderful. He just isn't, he's magical. He's yeah. so great. Yeah. And so I did a little of that. And that was kind of like in the summer doldrum when I was like, Oh, maybe my height, the height of where I get is like gets to apply to jobs. Yeah. And then I did that and I was like, Ooh, maybe gets jobs is in my yeah, repertoire yeah. as well. And then the beginning of 2014, I started working at last week tonight doing their like web, social, digital stuff. Uh-huh. And I did that for a year how, that, how long a day is that? So they were pretty, the, the days on the show are pretty humane. Yeah. Um, it was, but it was weekends too, was part oh. of it. So we were like 10 to six in the office. And then if you were working on a, a long script or a script that you got assigned late in the day for that week's show, you might have to work into the evening. And I like, see. especially early on, I think it took a little while for the, to figure out like how long these long scripts took to write or like how long they were even going to be. Yeah. Because I think they, over the first several months, like the store, the main stories that they do on the show are, you know, 16, 18, 20 minutes. And it's a, that's a lot of writing. Yeah. And I think as that expanded, they recalibrated like, oh, this is the amount of lead time we need. So people aren't staying at the office super late. That's so nice. It's really nice. There's a lot of places, a lot of places they don't give a shit. Yeah. They yeah. go, well, it's more convenient for us to assign it to you at 3 PM. Yes. And then you stay till 3 AM. I always think that the secret ingredient to a show with, as you put it, humane hours is someone in charge who has a happy home life. Mm-hmm. And because people with unhappy home lives, they're going to keep you there till two o'clock in the morning. Cause they don't want to go home. Oh yeah. And all three of the EPs had like, families and children that they like. Yeah. And so it was like, it was very nice because you knew that they had things they wanted to do. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it's lovely. And, they, and it, it makes them considerate of other people. It's too. very nice. Yeah. And, and so I did the digital and web stuff there for a year and then moved over and wrote for the show for four. Are you, a, are you a topically minded comedian? I think I, my standup isn't super topical. Yeah. That's why, I, that's why I asked. But because I, li- I like it. Standup is more just sort of existential. Yeah. yeah. It's, per, it's a little personal. It's a little just like what is fascinating me at the time. Yeah. Um, especially topical standup. I feel like unless you can get it on TV really fast yeah. with the pace that the news moves now, it's, it's yeah. like, it's not durable. Yeah. And I, I am trying to like, especially those years in Boston where I was only doing standup and not writing other stuff. I it kind of taught me like, Oh, 
but to make something that holds it like a script that you can have. And whenever someone says, do you have a script that you, you like? You're like, oh, I have this one that I'm really proud of. Yeah. Like something durable that you can take place to place. And, yeah. I, and topical stuff, I think, it just doesn't always have that like lasting power because the news – you go, hey, um, Rick Perry is the secretary of energy. And people are like, what? There's a hundred other things. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, but I, I'm newsy minded and like kind of the social issues of the day sure. minded. And that's like what I think about more. So I, yeah. I, I liked working on it. And I learned a lot about like who these people, are. like I didn't know because I read most of my news. I don't like watch, but it like, that's what it took. Like working there for five years, I was like, Oh, that's who does the news now. Yeah. Because <laughs> you would watch the footage and go, oh, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. It's all, it, yeah, it's all showbiz. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, you are married to a very talented writer, too. I am, and, yeah. And tell me how you guys met. So we met, we, we Maris knew. Kreisman. Yes, Maris Kreisman. Yeah. yeah. So we knew of each other. She's a brilliant person and a brilliant writer. And um, we met, we were acquainted lightly over the internet, and then a mutual friend brought me to a party she was throwing. She was like, the, she had this long running blog that had a lot of followers and like specifically, I think all over the place, but like it was, she was very plugged in and is very plugged into the like literary scene. Yeah. And especially in New York, there yeah. were a lot of friends and peers and fans. Yeah. And so she, cause she worked in publishing for a long time. So she was having a five year anniversary party for this blog, Slaughterhouse 90210 that she ran for years. <laughs> and it was, it's very funny. And it was just like a picture, a screen grab from a pop culture, um, event or moment or institution and then a quote from literature and yeah. that's like exactly her sensibility as sure. a um consumer of things yeah. like she just wants the to sublime think, and the yeah. ridiculous yeah she just wants to know like what would tony morrison have to say about jane the virgin right yeah. and like can we put yeah. these two things in yeah. conversation um and i think that that's so we met at this party and we made a date for, we got along immediately, made a date for the following. It was like a stone cold, sober 9am breakfast date that uh -huh. weekend. Cause I was about to leave town and I had said, so I, the only cool thing I've ever done in my life got me married, which was we met at this, at this party and she said, what's new with you? Cause we knew of each other enough that we weren't like, who are you? What do you do? Yeah. And she goes, what's new? And I go, um, I just got booked for the up gig in Sweden and I'm very excited. And she goes, I want to go to Sweden. We'd had a couple drinks and she goes, I want to go to Sweden. And I said, well, give me your phone number. We'll hang out once in America first to make sure we don't hate each other. So I had her phone number from that moment and, uh, we parted ways after the party and I texted her the next day and I said, Hey, I had a really good time talking with you last night. Let's hang out before enough time passes that it's weird that we haven't hung out yet. And so we like two days later or three days later, we had like a stone cold, sober second date or first date breakfast. Yeah. And then we've just been dating since then. Yeah. And, and got did she go to Sweden with you? She did not go to Sweden. Okay. With me, Cause I was going to say, wow, that's been a, incredible. Wow. But also too, like that's a big swing. A big commitment. Yeah. 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 No. And also my family, my immediate family, my parents had, I think never been to Europe. I also had not at that point. Uh -huh. And so I was like, I'm going for work. You guys should come. Cause you never take trips this big and you, I think had just retired or about to. And I was like, just, just come. It's like, everybody's going to speak English. It'll be easy. Uh, was it just Sweden? We went to London for two days afterwards nice. or three days afterwards, which was awesome. Yeah. And we, and that was, I think like even more 
their speed because it was like a cool different cultural experience but without um kind of the stress of like what are those letters and punctuation yeah yeah which my, me too yeah i'm like i get so nervous about international travel where i'm like oh, but i don't know italian and it's like and I feel so self-conscious of the idea of like going from a phrase book or an app. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Buongiorno. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, yeah. I The first time, because I never traveled. And then shortly after, it was probably like 1994 or so. And my sister-in-law was uh, working as an au pair in, in France. And we flew to Paris to meet her. And when we landed, I had like a panic attack of like, I don't speak the language mm-hmm. here. What happens if I get separated from everyone? And I, you know, and I was like, well, what happens? And I, you know, I was like, you have a credit card. Yes. You get on a plane and go home. Yeah, for you know, sure. Like, like it's not, you don't have to, but it, there definitely was that fear of, you know, you go to a foreign land. But now, I mean, now it's kind of like, eh, you know, every time we went to Italy last summer and I, signed up for some app because it's like, I'm going to, I know a, li- a little bit of restaurant Italian, but I was like, I'm going to do more. And I didn't do anything. Yeah. Like, fine. You know, we, we went to Greece for our honeymoon and I truly, this, I've talked about it on stage, but truly was blown away because I did no preparation. I didn't even really consider it till I got on the plane. And like from the airplane Wi-Fi, I downloaded a translation app and I punched in one word and I was like, I don't even know what these letters sound like. Like, how do you say pie? Like, is it yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And I was just like, I fully punted. Yeah. And it was just like, I'll, <laughs> I'll point at things for a week. Yeah. There's, yeah. I'm not prepared for this. Um, well, babe, we've covered a lot of where you come from. Yeah. Now let's go to where do you, what's, what's next for you? I mean, do you have, are you a, are you a set goals kind of person? I tried to, I tried to set goals, but I also try to be more open to like going with the flow. Yeah. Because I, I think I, I set short-term goals. That's what I'm pretty good at. I'm good yeah. at setting short-term goals and and generally achieving them. Yeah. So like, um, I'm pretty good at going. I want to write this project and get it done in roughly this period of time. Yeah. Um, I'm less. I don't have like a true five-year plan where it's like in five years I want to be doing this kind of thing and I'll just make my way and manifest it into the world. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm a lot better at being like, well, I need a new five-minute tape so I can send it out to television bookers and I can do another set on television. Yeah, And that's yeah. like something that that feels very manageable to me. Right, exactly. It's it's like instead of, uh, yeah, you're it, you're laying tracks for a train. Yes. And that's one rail at a time, yep. you know, so that makes sense. And then I go, oh, there's there's a mountain there. I guess I guess my track goes this way now. <laughs> yeah, or up and over, yeah, however. Yeah. Right, that's true. But yeah. I'm I'm like not – I. I don't have that kind of like vision and confidence to like look towards the mountains and be like, it's going to be a train through you motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I still am. One of the things that I struggle with is, is the goals that I would have and the things, because forever, I mean, I, I have a, a attention deficit issues and there's nothing sort of more daunting to me than a blank page yeah and or the question and this is a sort of a more deeper philosophical thing what do you want what mm-hmm. do you want to say I'm like uh I don't know I've been busy worrying about what other people want mm-hmm. um and so there something that I struggle with is that I I have these you know like I should be more of an author I should be writing things mm-hmm. I should be good and and there's and I, there, I've had this pressure that I put on myself over that. 
And I don't know, like, maybe that's not who I am. Maybe yeah. I'm an actor. Maybe I'm just, mm-hmm. maybe I am just an improviser actor. And I don't mean just, I mean. Right. These like, are the, the, these are my lanes yeah, that I like to work in. Exactly. And I, and I think sometimes too, and I don't, I think it's a, a, a fairly normal thing. I tend to discount the things that I'm, that come easily to me. I think p- creative people do that a yeah. lot. And there's, um, I was just talking to to a friend of mine who's working on like a she's like finishing grad school and working on a thesis and she was like kind of lamenting that she doesn't write a certain way or doesn't easily write a certain way and it's like it doing the thing that is natural to you like doing the thing that, like if you have to really stress and strain to make something work and like oh I wish I could write magical realism maybe it's like an interesting exercise to try yeah but like if what you write is like really um, propulsive crime drama and and that feels stupid to you because it's easy it's like it's not stupid because it's easy it is a gift that yeah. you can do that in a natural way and and make something really compelling for yeah. people in in a way that doesn't feel like laboring yeah. uh or like um you know making your muscles move in an unnatural way and i also think too you have to listen to other people you know there's a lot of, there there tends to be a sort of a, a an opinion that, you know, you can't define yourself based on other people's opinion of you. But it certainly is helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, there's things that I do and I'm I, I, plenty of things that I do that I'm like, I don't know. Is this good? Is this not good? And people tell me it's good. Yeah. I mean, the reason I'm in show business is because there was enough people told me, oh, no, you're you're good at this. Yeah. And so I could believe I believed them because mm-hmm. I had no sense of of. Whether or not I could believe myself yeah. in terms of it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, uh, in goal, in terms of goal setting, it's like, there are certain things that I've been kind of working, trying to work towards for a little while that I'm like, I still have this goal and it just feels like I'm maybe inching closer to it. Like I'd love to do a longer form stand up special and sell that to a network. Yeah. That's like something that is like a big goal that's been looming for a while that I'm kind of hopefully closing in on little by little. And then the the next thing, and not to be too pluggy, is I have a book coming out this fall. I wanted to, I certainly wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Thank you. And that was something where it really felt like I had co-written a book before that was more of like a straight humor book. Like mm-hmm. it was like an etiquette guide to like, you've already screwed this up. Here's how you fix it. Uh-huh. And this, so, and that was, it came out in 2015, 20. 2014. Look it up, folks. What does it matter? It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. It came out in 2014. And then I waited a little while because I'm also, I like don't sit down at a blank page and go like, here are the five brilliant ideas that I have. Uh And like, get ready world because I'm about to set you on fire. And so it took me a little while to go, okay, this is what I want. Like, because a book takes, it's almost in the way like a film does yeah. from the time you're like, here's the idea for it. It's years until it reaches completion. So I had the, having done a book in the past with my, my co-wrote with my friend, Joe Berkowitz, who's a, an excellent writer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, or as well. I'm also excellent. <laughs> <laughs> go right ahead. There we go. Yeah. yeah. And it's he, a safe space. Thank you. So I had the experience and the, the wisdom of like, oh, I'm going to have to sit with this for a long time. So I better be really sure that if I'm doing this while I have a day job and while I'm performing, that it's something that I'm going to be motivated to like work on on the weekends or work on at night. And so I worked, I spent probably a long time relatively just refining the proposal into something that my agent, my literary agent, Noah, who's awesome, 
was like, yeah, this is a thing that people will be interested in and, and you can sell it and it'll be like worth the time of going out with it and, and, and writing it and, and putting it into the world. Yeah. So we, we tweaked that for a long time and then I went with, and then we, so it sold the book, the proposal sold in late September, early October, 2017. Mm-hmm. And then I it took 11 months to write the first draft and then you know, and then there's been like various stages of edits and then I recorded the audiobook, and now I'm in like d- working on just like finding, writing essays to, that to support the book to publish places like, mm-hmm. oh, pitch, uh, pitch an op-ed to the times or something. And it's like, well, I just, I wrote all my ideas. They're in the, they're in the book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so like working on that and it, but it, it's been, I think because of the, the time that, that I spent refining the idea and then my editors like expert eye and notes and uh, guidance that it's been a really cool, rewarding process. And it's a book of comedic personal essays. Okay. And what's it called? It's called Nice Try, Stories of Best Intentions and Mixed Results. Nice. So I'm like really psyched about it. And I'm trying to, uh, my agent had said to me a a couple months ago, like, are you, would you like to try to sell another book before this comes out? Kind of like riding the wave of like pre-publication goodwill. Yeah. And I just wasn't, I didn't have the idea that I was like, I'm ready to jump in and sit with any idea that I have in my head for another two years Mm -hmm. right now. So like, I'm trying to stay really present and and not go like, well, this, well, I wrote this book, so it's done and I have to do the next thing. I'm trying to yeah. like really sit with it and like be enthusiastic because it's, sometimes it's hard to um, cheerlead for your own work because you're like, is it grotesque? Yeah. Is it, um, is it grading on people? But I really worked hard on it and I'm trying to give myself the like permission to tell people that and that I think they would like it and that I'm proud yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also just sit with it for a while. Don't mm-hmm. like, you know, it's still your baby and it's getting out into the world before you start thinking about the next kid. Yeah. You know? And I also like the, I like doing the live events, like the tour events and the launch events. That's like part of the the joy of like creating something to me. Yeah. And I know I have author friends who that's something they do because it's part of the job, but I'm like very much looking forward to like, okay, I'm going to go book tour. Uh, yeah. Book tour. I'm yeah. going to go up to Boston on a Tuesday night and do an event there. And it'll be like a real fun hometown thing. And then I'm going to do uh, a Philly, the, a different Tuesday and mm-hmm. like see and, and perf- you do a stand up show and sell books after that. And I have live events in New York that people are going to come to And I'm, I'm like pretty extroverted. So I'm pretty energized by that possibility. Like I don't, I I don't have that dread that I think some people who are like primarily authors authors yeah or even TV writers who who don't perform as much mm-hmm. the, the dread of like oh I have to talk to all these people which will like kind of slowly deplete my energy yes. level like I get tired I have to be from, looked at yes yeah yeah, yeah 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 and just like everyone's gaze takes one tenth of a percent out of me yeah and I understand that and I think that's so valid but I I am this is a fortunate part of the process for me where I'm like cool my other favorite work thing to do uh-huh. is just to go out and like I I'm from doing stand-up I'm like a pretty capable live performer and, and I have a pretty good sense of like what audiences want from a live event and how to tailor that because sometimes you see people who don't do a lot of like live talking and they read 
20 minutes of a very dry section of a, like I went to a a reading in college, I remember, and I like love, it was this poet and I loved his work on the page. And I was so psyched that he was coming to campus and I fell asleep in the like archives room of the library (laughs) listening to him because I was like, oh man, you are bringing no there is nothing that I'm getting from hearing you. Yeah, that I w- it's taking away from yeah, like, the yeah. beauty of the words. It's on the showbiz, page. buddy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's showbiz. Yeah. Something that you do that is a lovely thing that uh, is that you give pep talks on Twitter. Um, tell me how that started, and, and and tell me the thought behind it. And and I also am curious if if like there has been nice outcomes of that that you've heard that whereas where that where just those that exchange of words has 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 manifested itself in a good way sure so i th- so it started i was in kind of like a a career slump it felt like it was a few months before i got hired at last week tonight and i had had that that kind of like explosive viral twitter success and then i was i just like a couple things fell apart on me at this time. Like, you know, I was having these meetings that came from that, that I was not super well equipped for or prepared for in terms of like, I wish I had had like a uh, killer feature script to show people or a killer pilot that I was like, this, let's make it. And I just like that kind of writing, I was lagging behind on that. Yeah. So I'd kind of had a bunch of pleasant meetings where people are like, cool, well, let us know when you got something. And I was like, well, I don't got something. And, and then a couple of little things that I thought I had lined up kind of fell away. And then, so one day I had this gig that I was supposed to do in New Haven and I was getting ready to get in my car and drive the hour and 40 minutes. And the guy that booked me was like, Hey, um, the venues doors are like dead bolted shut. And there's not like enough <laughs> tickets sold that we should like move it to somewhere else. Yeah. So like, we're just going to call it. Cause I can't get into this building. And I was just like, well, fuck me then. Like I can't even do this $200 gig that I was like, well, at least I know how to do this. Yeah. And I was feeling kind of like low and needy. And I thought like, I have enough of a presence and a following online that I could have asked for someone to do something nice for me. Just like, Hey man, I'm not, I'm not feeling great. Can you, is there somebody that can reassure me that things are probably fine? Yeah. And I, I thought about doing that, but I was like, if 5,000 people or whatever, 15,000 people at the time followed me on Twitter, I didn't need to ask 15,000 people for something nice because like, I didn't need that kind of influx of like, yeah, buddy, it's fine. Yeah. And, and it might've been late at night enough too, that I was like, I couldn't just call a friend, you know, of college friend or something. And so instead of asking for it, I was like, what if I did that for someone else? I bet there's other people that, that are feeling the way I'm feeling right now. Yeah. And if I, I intellectually know that many things are fine that don't feel fine or many things that aren't fine can get better. Yeah. So I was like, if I can offer that kind of encouragement to someone else, maybe that'll feel good in the same way. So I tried it and I probably got like a couple dozen requests and kind of handled those. And it felt really good. And it's especially something that I can do. Like if I'm at a, if I'm on the road and, and by myself, it's like a really nice way to feel connected to people. Or like if I've just had a long day and by the time I get home from doing a stand up set, Maris is asleep and, um, busy, our fat pug is asleep. Uh-huh. And so it's just like a nice way to feel connected to people without like the intrusive thing of like, oh, who can I text at midnight that it's not going to seem like it's either urgent or like, I'm trying to have an affair. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and so it's, um, so it's like a nice way to reach out to like, Hey, who's around? What can I, can I do something for you? And they, so 
the and the outcomes have been there have been really lovely ones just that like nothing huge like i don't think i've changed anyone's life but usually there's some follow up or often there's follow up where someone will go hey i had this job interview and you had you had told me like just go in like you're not there by accident this is they want to see you so just like go in and do you and they're like, and I got the job and it meant a lot that you like were encouraging about that. Yeah, and just like yeah. little things like I didn't get them the job, but it's nice to say a nice thing and have someone like, like instill someone with that feeling. Yeah. Um, or like, I, I mean, a thing that I tell people a lot, cause I, you get a lot of kind of the same requests when people have specifics or just like the news feels really bad and the world feels really bad. And, and one thing that I tell people a lot is like, um, it, it is bad Good night. Um, <laughs> it is bad, but like you can be one of the people who makes it better. Like yeah. we all can. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, and, and there are people that can make, that will help you make it better for yourself and for others. Yeah. And like that is, so when um talking about where am I going? I think one of the, the things that I am the, trying to like really center in the, the work that I'm doing is like, what am I doing to make things better? And like, how am I helping people and, and, how am I making work with intention rather than just like, does this get a laugh? Then I will do it. Yeah. And so that's like a a way that I'm trying to orient myself big picture. That's great. Thank you. That's really, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a lovely thing to do. And, um, and also it's, it's one of those examples of, you know, everybody shits on Twitter, everybody, you know, everybody shits on Twitter, but here you sit with you are a going concern. You are, you know, your your career is growing. Well, thank you. You you have so many great things ahead of you, and you can credit some of that to this silly Twitter For thing. Sure. You and did. even like the the ability and the familiarity when I met my now wife for the first time that we were familiar with each other enough that we could talk and she wasn't like, who's this weirdo? Yep. And I wasn't like, uh, why would I go to this party? Yep. Um, so I, the way I say it in the book too, but I say like Twitter is like really harsh on a lot of people. And as like, you know, a straight cisgendered white man, I don't get the worst of it by a long shot. Sure, and so I yeah. don't want to discount that, but like, so Twitter is kind of like I fell into an open sewer and found a hundred dollars yeah. and that's my career. And then I fell into the same sewer again and found a diamond ring. Uh-huh. And I was like, look, I get that this is a sewer, but I've had like a lot of luck right. falling into this sewer. And I have, uh, it has enriched my life. Yeah. I have friends like real serious Absolutely. in real life friends that I've made through this. And I know so many people, especially women who are now comedy professionals because they got on Twitter yeah. and somebody could see, everybody saw this is a funny person. Yeah. And then they, somebody takes a risk on them, hires them. And now they have comedy careers. Yeah, it's very cool. And I also think for a particular kind of person, a joke thinking, joke writing person, I know like there are people on Twitter I've never met, but I know them because I have a mind that thinks of jokes they have a mind that thinks of jokes yep. and it's like, it's like a blood test or it's like a, like, it's just, it, you sense, I know who that person is just from their jokes, yep. you know, because it's a language that I understand. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we're, we're getting towards the end here. Uh, we're to the, what have you learned part? I mean, you, you know, I think it's pre- fairly, fairly safe to say you've learned that kindness is a good thing. Yeah. yeah. And so I've learned, um, 
that's one of the things, I mean, like the, the prep, the overarching narrative of the, of the book is that like, I was a nice kid and like, niceness and kindness and goodness are not always synonymous. Yeah. And so I'm trying to like move in my life and work from like just niceness of like, Hey, good to see you buddy. To like kindness of like, Hey, um, is there anything I can do for you? Yeah. And, and goodness of like, what am I doing for the world? And like, and, and especially now that I have a little more in terms of resources of like a platform and a little more financial stability in my own life and like career stability where I don't feel like I have to constantly be clamoring to make things happen for myself. Yeah. Like how can I do for others? And I think like I'm trying to be better about being like assertive or like righteously indignant and like calling bullshit on things that are bullshit as opposed to being like, I don't know, they're probably having a hard day and like, which is also an important impulse. Sure. But like to not just like let people being an asshole slide uh, and, and, but to do that with like, tenderness and gentleness I think is like what I'm that's like my human being brain project yeah well I I mean you are definitely somebody that puts a lot of goodness into the world and that's a that's a wonderful thing and I mean it's a when you you know like when you talk about that you're going to Sweden and you ask your you tell your parents to come with you like that's that's a pretty one. Like you obviously are very well loved. Oh, thank you. And and I and it, that is much credit to your parents and to your family. And and I mean, and it's it's really wonderful that that's what you put out into the world. Thank you. And uh, because you know, I mean, comedy can be very navel gazy, mm-hmm. and it can and people can sort of create their own feedback loop of what they do with their comedy. And yours is so expansive. And so oh, kind you. of outward reaching and, and it's about doing goodness. And I think that that's great. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, this was such a pleasure. I'm glad. Thank you for I'm having glad. me. And I, and I urge people to go out and get your book. Tell me the name one more time. Nice try. Stories of best intentions and mixed results. Um, thank you so much for coming. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thank you listeners for listening. And we will see you next time on The Three Questions. Bye-bye. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It's produced by me, Kevin Bartelt, executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Chris Bannon and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, associate produced by Jen Samples and Galitza Hayek, and engineered by Will Beckton. And if you haven't already, make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com.